Welcome to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. Thank you for joining the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Today, uh, I'm going to be continuing my series, part four of the suffering love of Jesus. Have you ever been hurt by the church or suffered religious or spiritual abuse? In this episode, I'm going to be talking about how Jesus suffered spiritual abuse from the religious authorities. I'm going to talk about his trial. The trial of Jesus has six phases to it, which can be divided into two parts. The first part has three phases, which is before the Jewish leaders. And then the second part also has three phases, which is before the Roman authorities. My goal is to piece together the story chronologically for the first part of this trial before the Jewish leaders, and they give insights on how we can overcome spiritual abuse. I'm going to pick up the story of Jesus' suffering where we left off in the last episode right before Jesus' trial with the religious authorities to set the stage. Jesus is still in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas has betrayed him and he's about to be arrested. Each of the four Gospels provides us with a unique perspective to draw on and to ponder. In the Gospel of John, it says this, Judas was leading the band of men to Jesus, where he would betray him with a kiss. Jesus saw them coming and fully realized what was going to happen to him. He steps forward and speaks up and asks them, Who are you looking for? What is interesting about this is they didn't even know exactly who Jesus was. Even though he had taught in the temple and the region regularly, he had become famous, a household name in the area and beyond. Man, who is this man Jesus of Nazareth? They didn't even know what he looked like. It says in Isaiah 52 and 53, it says this, But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured it seemed it seemed hardly human, and from his, his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. But he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they have not been told. They will understand what they have not heard about. It also says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Isaiah is speaking in a poetic way about the Messiah. The point isn't that Jesus is like a really ugly looking guy. The point is the kingdom of God isn't built on the strength of men. For an example, a business like Victoria's Secret is built on the worship or the exaggerated beauty of women or the worship of beauty. Many men in business and politics are handsome, they're smart, they're educated, they're intelligent, they're crafty. They and others talk about how strong they are. But the kingdom of God is built on the humility of Jesus and his willingness to endure suffering for our redemption. Also, we are not naturally attracted to God, especially the cross. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who believe. Jesus said to enter the kingdom of God, we must come like a little child. Humility is strength in, the God, in God's kingdom. Let's get back to the story. Jesus asked them, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus responds by saying, I am. 
Now, in most Bibles, there's like a little reference point, if you've ever noticed. Jesus wasn't just saying in the regular sense, yeah, here I am. He, but he was saying, I am. He was speaking the name of God that was spoken to Moses. Moses asked the Lord in his encounter, what should I tell them? When they asked me, who sent me or what is your name? My name is I am who I am. When Moses first saw the burning bush, he was amazed. He drew closer, but the Lord spoke and said, Don't come any closer. You're standing on holy ground. After Jesus told them, I am who I am, directly meaning I'm Yahweh, the one who set the family of Jacob free from slavery, it says in the Gospel of John, they drew back and fell to the ground. When Jesus told them who he really was, they fell to the ground. I would have loved to have been there, a fly on, on a tree or something. I think this is kind of comical in some ways. But it was the holy power and presence of God that blew them back onto the ground. The words of Almighty God are stronger than any army or band of men. With his words, he spoke the world as we know it into existence. And with his words, he could have easily stopped his own arrest and crucifixion. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I take it back up. Jesus asked them again, who are you looking for? They got up and they said again, Jesus of Nazareth. This time Jesus submits himself to the authorities and to his own humiliation. First, they take Jesus to Ananias, who is the son-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. There Ananias begins to question Jesus about his teaching and his followers. Jesus responds, in my opinion, kind of sarcastically, Everyone knows what I teach. I haven't taught in secret, but openly, regularly in the synagogues and the temple. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who have heard me. The temple guard slaps Jesus across the face and says, Is that the way you should answer the high priest? Jesus responds, If I have said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Ananias bound Jesus and sent him over to Caiaphas, the high priest. Before we move on, back in John chapter 11, after Jesus was, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it says many believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But the Pharisees and the leading high priest called the high council together, which is the Sanhedrin, along with the high priest Caiaphas. And they fully acknowledged that Jesus was doing many miracles. And they complained, what are we going to do? If we allow him to go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. What they meant was they were more concerned about their own political, spiritual, and cultural influence being lost than the good that Jesus was doing. Caiaphas prophesied, but he didn't, but he didn't realize that he was prophesying and said, You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Now, Jesus is standing before Caiaphas, the high priest, along with the leading priest in the Sanhedrin. It's recorded in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. It says that they were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. The stories of the lying witnesses contradicted each other. Finally, some false witnesses testified that they heard Jesus say, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. 
Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up and asked Jesus, Well, are you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent and said nothing. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the anointed one, the son of the blessed one? It's important to remember or to know that the high priest is the highest and most important position in the Jewish nation. He alone was commissioned to go into the most holy place in the temple to encounter the presence of God in between the cherubims on behalf of the people. So the high priest was the anointed one. So Caiaphas isn't just asking, are you the prophesied Messiah? But he's asking kind of like tongue in cheek, who's the anointed one, you or me? Of course, of course, Caiaphas thought he was. But Jesus responded by saying, once again, the name of Yahweh, I am who I am. And then he goes on and quotes Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel 7, Daniel had a vision where he saw one like the Son of Man who would sit on a throne next to Yahweh and would rule over the nations. Jesus was saying, yeah, I'm that man. Caiaphas was furious and he tore his clothes. He said, we don't, why do we need any more witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. The high priest, the leading priest in the Sanhedrin all condemned him worthy of death. They began to spit on Jesus. They blindfolded him. They struck him in the face. And they said, you know, if you're the anointed one, prophesy to us. Tell us who hit you. The guards took a hold of him and beat him as well. Now, if you go into Luke chapter 22, you'll see there's kind of a little bit of a similar rep repetition of this same thing that happens, but it's early in the morning on the same day that Jesus is crucified. Next, Jesus will go on to the Roman authorities, but I'll talk about that in the next episode. I'm going to provide some additional commentary and insights to overcoming spiritual abuse. I find it ironic that they blindfolded Jesus and begin to hit him in the face. Back in John chapter 8, Jesus healed a man born with blindness on the Sabbath. After the healing, the Jewish leaders began to question the man and his parents and were upset because the healing took place on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders didn't find the blind man's answers to their questions acceptable, so they kicked him out of the synagogue. Can you believe that? He was blind, and then he could see he was healed, and he didn't give the right answers, so they gave him the right foot of fellowship. Later on, Jesus finds him and tells him that he entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to, sh and to show those who think they can see that they are blind. Some Pharisees were standing by and asked him, Are you saying that we're blind? Jesus responded, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Now they have blindfolded Jesus, the one who heals the blind physically and spiritually. And then the Jewish leaders are driving the nails in the coffin of their own spiritual death and blindness, demonstrating their complete hardness of heart. Pharaoh saw the signs and wonders of the Lord's prophet Moses, yet he hardened his heart. Now the prophet that Moses spoke about is performing signs and wonders, and they are hardened hardening their heart, loving their political power and influence more than they love God. 
Caiaphas, the high priest, rejects the Lord's anointed one, just like Pharaoh did. But through the Passover lamb, Israel would be set free from his tyranny. Ironically, Caiaphas, as the high priest, privileged to enter the most holy place and to sacrifice on behalf of the Lord's people, looks the Lamb of God in the face and sends him to his death. A sacrifice that would do more than set a nation free from the oppression of slavery, but open the door to freedom to all men everywhere who call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus would set us free from humanity's greatest oppressors, power of death, the power of sin, and the powers of darkness. And like Pharaoh, who drowned in the Red Sea in self-destruction, the Jewish leaders in 70 AD would be destroyed along with the temple because of their rejection of the true anointed one. And of course, Jesus prophesied these very things. But even though they had ears, they couldn't hear. And even though they had eyes, they couldn't see. Paul tells the believers in Ephesians that he's praying for them, that the Father would open the eyes of their heart. We're all blind and deaf, but if we open our hearts to Jesus, he will open our eyes and our ears, and we will see wonderful things and hear songs of deliverance. You could say that Jesus took a beating in the face so that the shadow of darkness could be lifted from ours. As his light shines in our hearts, so we will know the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus. It says in the Ten Commandments, Do not lie. Do not bear false witness against thy neighbor. But the Jewish leaders who claimed to be Moses' disciples were in rebellion towards God while acting out pious devotion. Jesus told them if they were Moses' disciple, they would love him. But they didn't have the fruit of love, so the Father rejected them and their leadership. Jesus' trial is a good example of spiritual abuse. The Jewish leaders cared more about protecting their positions of influence instead of using their influence to care for God's people. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, to search out the lost sheep who lost its way. He came to gather the outcast. So what are the principles to help us overcome spiritual abuse from bad leaders? First, we must understand that Jesus confronted the abuse of the Jewish leaders. He rebuked them for their hypocrisy. He went into the temple. He turned over the tables, challenging their authority. Jesus said of himself, he is the good shepherd. Shepherd means leader. He's a good leader, and he lays down his life for his sheep. He cares for the sheep. He will leave the 99 and go after the one. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel rebukes the corrupt leaders for not taking care of the weak, tending to the sick, or binding up the injured, or not searching for the lost, or for, and for ruling harshly and cruelly. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' time were guilty of the same, and Jesus called them out on it, and this was one of the reasons they sought to kill him. Abusive leaders must be confronted. This should be done with the support system. Otherwise, it might be best just to walk away and warn others to stay away. Abusive leaders normally fight back. They don't just lay down or say, you're right, I'm sorry, I just step down. They covenant the power and the position. Let's move on to three principles for overcoming spiritual abuse. The first principle is to know the character of Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd or the good leader. Just listen to Psalm 23 as it describes 
the Lord's character. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He gives me rest. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We could go into a whole teaching on Psalms 23. I might do that a little bit later. But this you know, is just illustrating Jesus' leadership and his character. Jesus cares for the weak, the sick, the injured. He seeks out the lost, and he rules his people with gentleness and meekness. He said he was lowly and humble. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in love. The second principle is to know your identity in Christ. When Caiaphas asked Jesus, are you the anointed one? Jesus didn't hide who he was. He said, I am who I am. Don't look or depend on people to define who you are or men's opinions. You are who God says you are. You are beloved son or daughter of the Father. He has given you the Holy Spirit as a guaranteed deposit of your future inheritance. He hasn't hasn't given you the spirit of fear or slavery, but sonship and made you an heir and a co-heir. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be his beloved and adopted son or daughter. He redeemed you and purchased you with his own precious blood. He has seated you in heavenly places in Christ. Even though the Lord may call some people to leadership positions, there are no super saints or super spirituals. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and gives you life, and there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. The third principle is to know what the New Testament says about leadership. A leader should have humility. The greatest among you is a servant of all. Christ-like leadership gives it does not take in first corinthians chapter 3 paul lists the requirements for leaders they must be above reproach faithful to their spouse exercise self-control live wisely have a good reputation be hospitable able to teach they must not be violent or heavy drinkers they must be gentle not lovers of money manage their own household well They must not be a new believer unless they become proud and fall into the devil's trap. I would encourage you to know and to seek to become a good leader, whether or not you ever end up in a position of leadership or not. The Lord needs good shepherds to care for his people. This can happen in a leadership position or in a family or even among friends. In closing, I remember one time I had a conflict with another believer. They were not a leader, but I was speaking the truth And they were rejecting it. They began to accuse me and say I was speaking the devil's words. Then they pointed their finger at me and they tried to cast the devil out of me. I responded back, there ain't no devil here, just a man. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He brings accusations against us to cause us to be afraid so he can bring us underneath his rule and control. But Paul said, if God is for you, who shall be against you? Who dares to accuse you or condemn you? Christ died and has risen and stands 
at the right hand of the Father, the most powerful physician in the universe, and he's fighting for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. And we are not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. Thank you for listening to part four of the suffering love of Jesus. And in the next episode, I will pick up with Jesus's trial with the Roman authorities. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great day.